Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Somerset Stories, the podcast which explores the lives of the people who live, work and create in Somerset. My name's Lewis Webb and each week I get to share the stories of some of the inspiring, creative and successful individuals and families that make this beautiful county their home. If you're new to the podcast, you can listen to previous episodes and subscribe so that you don't miss any new ones. If you're not new, welcome back. I'm really looking forward to sharing some fantastic conversations with you this season. As always, your feedback is really important, so if you can leave positive ratings and reviews, it's much appreciated. And if you want to get in touch directly, you can email us, hello at somersetstories.com. My guest for this season's first episode is the man behind the UK's favourite fish pie, food entrepreneur Charlie Bigham. Charlie set up Bigham's 25 years ago after a road trip to India inspired him to start a food business. The Dulcet Kitchen in an abandoned quarry near Wells is now the company's Somerset home and Charlie has been an advocate and supporter of local food and local businesses, playing a key role in the annual Wells Food Festival. We spoke shortly after this year's event, which, as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, was hosted online. Charlie, welcome to Somerset Stories. Thank you very much, Lewis. Very nice to be, be with you. Yes, with you virtually. Um, Sadly, virtually. Sadly, but but you you were recently in Wells for the for the food festival. How did that go? Can you tell me more about how that sort of came into being? Well, we are still waiting to get all of our feedback in. Um, however, I am I would say this, wouldn't I? But I think it was a rip roaring success um, from from the ashes of of you know cancellation uh, due to coronavirus. I think we managed um, phoenix like something managed to, to to rise up. And be rather wonderful. So we had, we had, uh, we had a great website going. So we obviously we went virtual, and we had a great website um, highlighting and talking about and giving a sort of voice to about 150 small producers from around the southwest, uh, with a particularly large concentration from Somerset. Somerset, I believe, from memory, it was about 94 of the producers from Somerset. So most very Somerset focused. Um, and I think, you know, it's been a really, really, really tough time for lots of, uh, lots of people over the last six months and, and, and not least small artisan food producers. So it was lovely to be able to create a platform um, where people could go and, you know, go to one website and, and sort of browse around and find people they pro- may not have heard of before or maybe they were wanted just a, an easy an easy sort of gateway to order some stuff from them and we've had some lovely anecdotal feedback from people saying that they've you know their orders went up quite a lot as a result and they've got some extra publicity and stuff so so fingers crossed that worked quite well um you know a substitute you know only for the real thing um because i think there's nothing more enjoyable than wandering around a market eating delicious food and exploring things and chatting to people but nonetheless i think you know definitely better than nothing so that was one, you know, that was one bit of it. And then we had lots of demonstrations and, and other things. And I think those were, were reasonably well attended as well. And then also we were very, we were very chuffed um, as part of the whole Wells Food Festival. We actually organised a virtual banquet on Saturday night, on the Saturday night, Saturday the 10th of October, we did that. And we had about 2,000 people dialing in um, from around the country and even a few from outside the country actually um and we had some brilliant chefs we had mark hicks and thomasina Myers, thomasina myers and henry harris and merlin lebron johnson and our own rupert wilday who heads up uh, our food team at biggums and they cooked up a storm um absolutely a feast of five delicious courses 
And it was really, really good fun. And so that was something, you know, which was virtual, but couldn't have been done sort of non-virtually, so to speak, because people were cooking along in their kitchens at home, having loads of fun. And I think that would be definitely something we do again. You mentioned you had close to 100 produce providers. Were there some new discoveries for you? Were there some kind of... Yeah, about 150, uh, actually. Nearly 100 from Somerset. So I think, um, yes, of course there were. So I've had a nice, you know, had a nice browse through and chatted to a few of the people. Um, There was uh, Timmy's Chilies, I thought was very nice. Did some sort of chili, chili jam. And then there was a really fantastic charcuterie business whose name I've forgotten. Oh my God, I'm going to have to give you that because they're called something like, they were so good though, Capriolus, 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 fine foods, multi-award-winning family-owned English artisan charcuterie. They're actually based in Dorset, but they were really, I thought they they had some lovely stuff. Lots of lovely cheese, uh, as we know, you know, are... Neck of the Woods is is one of the is one of the great places in the world for cheese. So, not surprisingly, we had um, lots of fantastic cheese producers. I want to rewind a little bit to uh, some memories of uh, of growing up uh, of of Charlie Bigham as a as a kid. Was food important in your family? I think kind of yes and no. I mean, yes in that. Definitely, for our family, it was it was sitting down at the table and having meals together, which I think is very very important. And so I think that's a that's a great thing to have, a great way to have been brought up. And it's it's indeed the way I've brought up my kids, and I would heartily recommend it as an approach. Uh, my mum was a pretty good cook, so she used to cook a lot, and uh, and that was nice. So we had, had had nice food. I mean, I kind of think you know I was brought up really in the seventies. And the seventies was a pretty dire time, for, dire time for food. I mean, I think, you know, people today don't realise how lucky they are um, with what has happened. You know, in 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 with food, especially I would say, over the last twenty twenty five years. You know, we we've sort of exploded into, um, uh, you know sort of different foods coming from abroad you know supermarkets now have an amazing array of stuff you know from i mean yeah unbelievable to think that hummus basically didn't exist in a british supermarket 30 years ago and when you go and you know just and, and you know fresh coriander and all these i mean just i mean there are obviously thousands of items you can buy today which you just couldn't get your ha- hands on um many many you know 20 25 years ago uh, when i was growing up so i think we're very very lucky um, so that's why I kind of say in some ways food was important um, to me because we did eat a lot of food together and that was great and you know my mum cooked a lot I started cooking at quite a young age however we were starved of good ingredients I think and especially I spent lots of time in my holidays on the west coast of Ireland and there you know they fantastic beef and potatoes um, but not a lot else Apart from catching things from the sea, and that's the, that's that's another part of which be part of my, you know, definitely my growing up and 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 continues to this day, um, is actually you know going out and and finding food to eat, um, you know, catching it or or picking it or whatever is a fantastic way to eat, and that's 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 definitely part of my sort of heritage of food, if you like. Where where were you fishing growing up? Well, on the west coast of Ireland, so um, and, and not just fishing, you know, catching 
crabs and and shrimps and you know eating mussels and you know all the the bounty from the sea but but also lots of other things as well uh, were available so picking blackberries and picking um chanterelles in the woods mm. it's always raining in Ireland so so an advantage of rain is that you get lovely mushrooms so um yeah sort of doing all of that i think is great so yeah i think maybe maybe i was maybe does that sound quite foodie yeah 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 i think so i think i'm very lucky i'm very lucky i I was quite foodie even even in a non-foodie time and did you did your mum involve you in cooking did she kind of let you get well she did i have to say my mum is my mum's good cook but she quite liked to do most of it herself um, but but I suppose I suppose when I when I was a teenager, occasionally I started you know taking over and saying, "How about I do something um, for supper tonight?" And I was occasionally yeah. allowed to. I think uh, I've read somewhere that you're from a relatively big family. You've got three siblings, is that right? There are four of us. Yeah. What was that dynamic like? I'm I'm also one of four, uh, yeah. and it was you know generally quite loud in the house most of the time i think it's good i mean i've got four children myself so i i you know i think i think that's probably says that overall i'm i'm happy with with the idea of being one for because i've gone and repeated it uh well obviously not it was wasn't entirely down to me um but um but no i think one of what do you reckon i think one being one of four is a good thing don't you think i yeah i loved it um i think it's it's a circumstantial thing i think with people starting families later you end up with people deciding that, that they've had enough kind of before. So yeah, growing up, being one of four didn't seem that un, unusual, but I think now it is probably a little bit a little bit more so. Maybe. You went on to study English literature. What inspired you into literature growing up? Um, I love reading. I mean, I think, you know, reading, I, I loved reading then. I still love reading now. It's just a great thing. I mean, it's the, it's the sort of... I, I subscribe to the view that reading is the fount of all knowledge um, and also the fount of an extraordinary amount of enjoyment. Um, and I guess maybe a little bit of that was came from my time I spent in Ireland because we didn't have a telly or anything there. So, so we kind of, you know, you needed to be a little bit more inventive. I think it's quite good not to have tellies. Uh, well, I mean, now screens, obviously. We're now, you know, assaulted from all sides by... Actually, sometimes some quite good stuff to watch. Um, but but it's, it's a shame if you never pick up a book. Anyway, I picked up a book. I love reading. And so, um, you know, doing English literature at university was, was just a, was a joy. Was it all sorts of uh, literature that you were into? Was it the classics? Was it more modern stuff? Uh, I am into, yeah, most literature, I'd say. Most, I mean, I particularly like fiction, you know, I mean, novels. I like the novel. I mean, I'm, I'm more into novels than I am poetry or it was kind of sacrilege almost to say that as a student of English literature so I think you're meant to like poetry better but I've always preferred novels well poetry is sort of it's the it's the condensed version of the art isn't it so if you can if you can fit your meaning into fewer words and make and make the the structure more perfect then you know then you're more of a clever writer aren't you well that's a point of view (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> have you considered writing at all have you ever thought no no I'd be a terrible writer I have huge admiration for anyone who writes I think it's one of the hardest things to do uh, you know to just sit there with a blank page and turn that into something it's just extraordinary I'm, I'm, I'm always blown blown away by the, the 
talent that is required to do that and the bravery actually. When you went to university did you have a view of what you wanted to do as a career? Um, absolutely not. <laughs> That's a good thing though right? I think I think it's a good thing I don't think you need to rush you know I think I mean I, I'm you know I, I'm, I'm very impressed I mean obviously some people who just have a calling in life you know for example uh, which is important I mean you know if you want to be a doctor uh, and you know Boy, do we need doctors uh, in the world. Uh, and I think if you talk to a lot of people who are doctors, it, they had a calling to, be, to become a doctor from a very young age. Um, and you kind of need that because you have to then study the right, you know, all the right subjects and choose your subjects early and, and then do incredibly well and work incredibly hard for a long period of time before you become a doctor. So I, I think it's very impressive that some people do have a calling and, and follow it through. I was not someone who had a calling. I was someone who, who sort of, bummed along, enjoyed life, and then thought, well, I'll enjoy myself while I'm at university and, and, and maybe a little bit afterwards as well. Uh, and, then, and then I'll work out in my 20s what I really want to do with my life. And I think that's actually quite not a bad approach. Not a bad approach. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, less, uh, it's less encouraged now simply because uh, of, you know, things like, student debt people come out of university in in a lot of debt and are yeah. encouraged to sort of do something which is immediately going to make them make money uh so it's a lot more vocational now i think yeah. i think the sort of doing academia for the for the sake of academia is not is not as common as it yeah. used to be well i would encourage which is a shame. i would encourage shame. people not to rush you know uh, you know one one thing that one thing that is very clear is that everyone who's starting work today is going to be working until they're really, you know, quite old. I mean, well, not really old, but I mean, older than historically people would have been. I think, you know, you can safely say if you're starting work today, you're going to be working into your 70s. And so if you're sort of 20 something, you know, you've got sort of probably 50 years of work stretching ahead. I really don't think it matters too much if the first five years of that, you're sort of trying a few things out and working out who you are and, um, and, and what you really want to do. So your journey, you, you after university, started uh, at Anderson Consulting, which went on to become Accenture. Correct. How soon after joining did you start feeling like, this is not right for me, this is not my calling? Um, hmm, interesting. I mean, probably from day one, I mean, in some ways, but it was a very, very good business. I mean, again, you know, because I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't take on the job thinking this is something I'm going to do for the, for the rest of my life. I thought this is actually quite a useful stepping stone. You know, um, it, it, it paid me reasonably well. It, it was, I learned lots of stuff and I thought, well, I'll do this until I think of something better to do. So uh, it was never, never my plan to stay there forever. And then I got you know, I got very fed up with it once um, Once they, they started telling me to do things that I didn't want to do. Um, which is, you know, I mean, that's, that's the nature of work sometimes. But I wasn't very good at being told, thing, told what to do. Was that the tipping point which, which pushed you into leaving? Or was there, was there a moment where you thought, that's enough? I, I can't really remember. It, it was a long time ago, obviously, because I'm, I'm quite old and crusty man I'm not really but I mean it was quite a long time ago it was about gosh that's 30 something years nearly 
that is quite horrendous to think how long ago it is anyway 30 years at least and uh, so yeah no it's just time to move on you know and and so I went I went there and went and, and I went and worked for a very small consultancy advising people how to build art galleries and museums and theatres and things which was less lucrative but more interesting uh, and then after some time there you went on a a, a literal journey a literal journey, um, yes. Uh, so, so my girlfriend at the time and I both had actually very, you know, an interest enough. We we're living in London, had interesting jobs uh, which we were both, you know, into and, and 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 enjoyed. But we kind of, I think we both felt we weren't doing something, you know, we weren't doing. We hadn't found the this is it for the 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 kind of forever or whatever. And so we, we both left up, resigned from our jobs, and bought a camper van and drove out to India and back. And kind of part of the plan was to decide what we were going to do with the rest of our lives along the way. Um, we made some very good decisions. Uh, one, the, made, the best decision of all was that we would, you know, sort of formalise our relationship, if you like, and get married. Uh, and that's great. Uh, very, very good thing to do. Um, and, and then and the other thing is, is along the way, I decided to, to set up a business. But I kind of actually decided that before I went, that we were going to go off and... I was going to come back and while away decide what sort of business I was going to set up when I got back. The passage to India, which was not, not necessarily a, an actual passage, it was more of a road trip. Um, how much along the way were you sort of inspired by the, the food, the, the new flavours, ingredients that you were sort of being exposed to? Um, very much so. I mean, I'm very lucky in I've travelled quite a lot. I mean, that wasn't the only, that's not the only travelling I've done. I've travelled quite a lot. And, and one of the great joys of travelling wherever you are in the world is discovering, you know, food, um, the food of the country you're in, you know, what, what, the lo- what, what local people eat. I mean, sometimes it can be disappointing. I spent quite a lot of time in South America at the time. I would say South American cuisine was, was not particularly exciting. Um, I think it's got better since actually in some places. Um, but, you know, going travelling around Asia and India and, and places, I mean, you just get, you, uh, and, and North Africa, Morocco, you just unbelievable, unbelievable new things, just these w- wonderful things you taste, usually cooked on the side of the road in a pan. You know, that, those are your best meals, I think my best meals. And so when we went on this journey um, to India, it was lovely sort of, uh, you know, driving through Europe and stopping in markets and buying stuff and cooking it in our van or cooking it on fire, and then and then and then you know, kind of as we went further and further east, you, the, the food would just change very gradually, um, and discovered lots of things, and that was you know where part of the inspiration came for starting a business in food. Were there any brand new things that that you probably wouldn't uh, try again? Um. Oh, gosh. I, do, I mean, I do think it's important to try everything. Um, try everything. I mean, there's not much I wouldn't eat a second time, actually. Um, sea slugs. I mean, not that those I ate anywhere, you know, on that particular journey. I actually ate those in Cornwall. And they were particularly revolting, I thought. Have you ever had a sea slug? I've not, no. I'd recommend avoiding it. <laughs> Um, so yes, of course there are some there are some revolting things that that people eat, um, and some people find some of those revolting things delicious, um, but not many things are. They? I think most things are good, if they're well cooked or well prepared or fresh or whatever. They're usually good. 
something to be said for them. Yeah, I think, you know, when you you look at sort of maybe, I don't know, probably more, like 10 years ago when there was a sort of big revival in things like offal, um, yeah. restaurants like St. John and Braun in London were, were sort of sprouting up. Yeah. Um, and, and people were like, well, you shouldn't, you know, offal's just not very nice, but people were, were making it good. Yeah. I think I'm not a massive fan of offal. Actually, I do remember. I I, I remember one offal experience, which probably wasn't entirely positive, in in Lahore. Um, Pakistan has lovely food. I think on the whole, um, absolutely delicious food. Anyway, I was in Lahore, and there's a street famed for its kidneys. And I don't like kidneys, but you know, if you're in Lahore and you hear there's a street famed for its kidneys, and you like food, you kind of think, well, I'll just put to one side that I don't like kidneys and I'll go I go along and I'll try some kidneys because you know this is this is, this is what you've got to do and so there's I remember the street I can picture it actually now it was quite a long time ago but I can picture it very vividly there was a street and there were just there was rows of um, rows of people down each side just with stalls it was basically just a very hot plate so a fire with a big big circular disc and everyone had the same setup. And then, and then you go along, and and someone would pull some kidneys from somewhere under the um, you know, <laughs> out of a box, probably not, it's definitely not refrigerated or anything like that because it's Pakistan, and and uh, and those things aren't very important, and they're so fresh, you know, why do you need that? So you'd get these super fresh kidneys, and then and then cook them on, put them onto this plate in front of you. And just um and cook them very fast and chop them up furiously with very sharp knives and then and then sort of bundle the whole lot into a into some flatbread and put a bit of salad and stuff in it and and, and you know put some lovely sauce on it and then you'd eat it there and then and there was a whole street where this was happening so everybody was ordering it and the whole street stunk of piss uh, which was not which wasn't really the best. You know, it wasn't re- didn't really get you hungry, but you know, having said that, um, it was quite nice actually, considering <laughs> considering the the sort of amuse bouche of urine odor, and and the fact that I don't like kidneys, it wasn't a t- it wasn't a bad meal. Well, but not a recommendation, not like a well, I, if you if you find yourself in Lahore, yeah, I would seek out that street and go go to the the kidney because you street. won't forget it. Yeah. So when when did the idea for Bigham's first kind of become this is this is what I'm going to do when I get back? Well, that was I I can actually you know strangely there was a moment there was a moment when that when things sort of you know fell into place ish shall we say I I was actually at that moment I was sort of tossing and turning it was a very hot night it was the middle of August tossing and turning waiting to cross um, over the border from Iran into Pakistan. And we were in quite a dodgy place, actually. It's become much dodgier since. Um, um, but uh, it, was, it was quite a dangerous place we were in. So I, I wasn't terribly relaxed, and it was very hot. And so I was, I was lying awake um, and, you know, mulling over. And it just seemed like a good moment to think about, about starting a business. And, um, and I had this idea that maybe, you know, maybe I could do something when I came back, which would be sort of taking a bit of inspiration from what I'd seen in Iran and, and elsewhere, where basically, you know, for most people, a quick meal, a con- convenience food 
doesn't involve microwaves or compromise or anything. It just involves a bunch of fresh ingredients tossed in a hot pan on the side of the road. And so that was the kernel of the idea. I thought, okay, I'm going to try and take that idea and then see if I can do something with that when I get back. And, and it kind of grew from there. When you got back to the UK, did you have a clue as to where to start? What was the first kind of steps? Not really. Um, I went and got a job in a deli because I thought, I'm going to go and start a food business. And I know nothing about food, so probably a good thing to do. I'll just go and work in a food business for a few months just to sort of get a feel for for what it's all about. Um, and I went and worked in a lovely deli called Mr Christian's um, in Notting Hill Gate. Sadly, just closed down after uh, many, many years, but, but it's one of those great deli, London delis. Um, and so I worked there, um, which was great. You know, I learned lots. When you first started uh, Bigham's, what were some of the biggest growth points for you personally during those early days? Hmm... Well, I think, I think, you know, working, working in food, what you, and, and actually I got this kind of from the deli, what you realise is that, you know, working in food is quite hard work, you know. It, it usually involves either starting very early or finishing very late, or quite often both. Um, and, um, and so I, and, and you kind of just need to turn your hand to everything. You can't be, you can't be very precious about stuff. If you need to do the washing up or clean the floor or whatever it might be, you just, just get on and do it. And so, and I think that's, that's good. I like that, you know, because I think it's good if you have to roll up your sleeves and get involved. Um, and that was obviously rather quite different from my life as a consultant, as a business consultant, if you like, or even as an arts business consultant, when you're sort of sitting and pontificating about ideas and and stuff. So I kind I I like the immediacy of food, um, the fact that it's there, and you know quite often the food you that arrives in a shop that morning or you or we make in our kitchen. You know, it, it you make it and it, it it only lasts for a short amount of time, and then either somebody's got to buy it and eat it and hopefully love it, or otherwise it's going to go in the bin. You don't want that. <laughs> You mentioned earlier that, you know, in the last 30 years, so much has changed. There's been an explosion of different types of cuisines that we are exposed to. You started the business 25 years ago. How have you adapted to that change in food culture in the UK? So, I mean, what's interesting is, is I mean, well, I think it's interesting. Is so when I started the business, I thought, well, um, I, you know, I, I kind of, I'd seen all this, lots of lovely um food being cooked all over the world and and I thought okay this is this is my moment so I love Middle Eastern food for example so I thought well what I would do one of the things I'll do I'll come and I'll try and get people to eat new food so I will take Middle Eastern food which hardly anybody had eaten then and launch some Middle Eastern recipes and everyone would start eating Middle Eastern food um that didn't work um didn't work then and it wouldn't necessarily work now in terms of what we do. So I think if you're a restaurant, you can maybe, you can explore on that, or if you've got a market stall, and I think lots of people do a brilliant job. I had the most delicious Persian um, street food at last year's Wells well Food Festival, which actually won the, the, the prize as the best street food of which I was judged. Um, uh, so I think you can do that on a kind of, on, on quite a small scale. But what we do is we make food, which we try and sell to people sort of up and down the country and you know we, our food is sold in Waitrose and 
Tesco and Sainsbury's. And so when we make a dish, it's actually really important. It only works for our customers, the supermarkets, if people are buying it up and down the land in, you know, with a reasonable frequency. So although I'm, I love all the new food and I'm the first person to go and try something new, you know, whether that's a new method of cooking food or from a different, from a different part of food from a different part of the world or whatever it might be. Actually, we have to be quite disciplined in, in, in our business when we're making food and not follow the zeitgeist. Um, because, and so, so we kind of, we spent many years trying to do that and um, failing repeatedly. Um, and so now what we do, so, so kind of we pivoted, pivoted, as is the terminal, fashionable terminology, I think, um, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And we said, you know, actually, let's try doing something else. Let's try and take the classic dishes that people know and love and love, you know, know and love and want to eat and just cook them, make them properly, make them as if you were making them at home, all the brilliant ingredients and just basically make them better, miles better than anyone else. So that's our objective. So, yeah, our best selling dish is fish pie. Um, our second best selling dish is lasagna. Yeah, you know, these are not these are not sort of unbelievably radical recipes, but our versions of them are unbelievably radical because they're so delicious and and they're made properly and very people and people have sort of you know people who we nominally compete with who make food going to the supermarkets on the whole they make very poor food, and and they make it with the wrong values and the wrong approach and everything's wrong. So we try to do everything right, you know, as a counter to that. And, uh, and you know, I'm glad to say that, you know, people, people eat our food and they, they, they're very kind and write in and tell us that we've we're sort of got it right and everyone else has got it wrong. Um, and, and then they keep on buying it. So we kind of know that, you know, we're, you know, maybe onto something. Um, so, so that's what we do. So we're not trying to be radical. Um, however... I think the the sort of the fact that the food culture has changed in this country and, and massively for the better over the last 20, 30 years has been obviously pure accident from my point of view, starting a business just as this was this was kicking off. Um, very fortunate everyone needs to be lucky when they start a business. And that was one of my probably my biggest stroke of luck. Um, but as people have become more aware of food and enjoyed food more. I think their appreciation of food. So it means we can do stuff, you know, we can really, really make a massive effort with how we cook the ragu of our lasagna. And then people sort of get it. People taste it. It's like, oh, wow, that actually, that tastes different. I appreciate that. I'm prepared to pay a tiny bit more for it. Um, and I'll buy it again and again because it's better. So I think we've been very lucky. You know, the culture has changed massively. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's been, you know, fortunate for us. And with that, growth over that that 25 year period what lessons have you learned about yourself i don't i don't know i mean i don't sort of i'm not someone who's out sort of trying to learn lessons if that makes sense i kind of i mean if i kind of look back and think well what have i learned about what i do yeah i've learned some i've sort of i i guess i've learned a few things i mean i think you know if you're setting up a business i've learned things about setting up a business um um, for example, you know, really basic things, which, you know, like if you're going to set up a business, one of the most important qualities is to just be persistent, you know, just keep doing, doing it, be focused, be persistent. You know, if you get 
knock down, just get up again and, you know, keep going. Um, about myself, I think, I think probably what I've learned is the best thing is to be true to yourself. You know, I don't think it's sustainable um, with anything you do, actually, if you're, if you create a charade and you're someone who you're not. Um, so I am, I am just who I am, you know, and, and, and that's fine. And I think if you, if you take, if you are who you are, then people kind of respond to that sort of the simplicity and honesty of that, um, rather than if you're trying to kind of create some web and pretend you're someone, someone else. Before, um, the Dolcutt's kitchen came along, uh, what was your experience of Somerset? The bit of Wiltshire I live in is only one mile from Somerset. And in fact, in a, in a previous era, was part of Somerset. So I've sort of, I've been living in Somerset-ish. Somerset, Dorset, Wiltshire. I mean, they all sort of blend a bit. You know, the boundaries are a bit fluid. So I've been living down, down there for, I don't know, 10, oh gosh, I've lost count. Is it 10 years? Probably about 10 years. Um, and we and, and prior to that, I'd, I'd spend a lot of time in London and we moved down there because I love the West Country. It's great. It's, it's just a beautiful place. Um, and I love the the food heritage of the West Country. I think, um, you know, when we were looking to um, open a kitchen outside London, because we'd run out of space in London, um, we kind of said, you know, well, what? You know what are we going to do? We're going to go, you know we can we can't we can't we worked out we had to go about a hundred miles outside London to to find a bit of land we could afford to buy. Um, obviously that that ruled out going either east or south, um, and so it's like well shall we go north or shall we go west? You know in really simplistic terms. And for me, if you go north, and this this is no disrespect to the north because there's some great wonderful food produced in the north however for me the north is a bit more symbolic of i kind of think of the northern factories and and, and you know production in that sort of way um whereas what i like about the southwest is it's kind of quite primary you know there's it's it, it's where real food comes from it's where there's lots of farming and producers and and that it sort of fits well with my philosophy of food. Is I think I think it's if food can be close to where it's produced and 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 kind of have the the producer ethos somehow baked into the food you make. I think that's a good thing. You acquired the site in twenty sixteen. Before then, it was a sort of disused quarry. What kind of vision did you need to say yes? This is the place. Well, I thought it was quite sensible. Um, my plan as I walked it, I broke in, you know, the, the, I'd heard about this disused quarry for sale. So I went along one weekend and climbed over the fence, um, you know, past the signs that said you will be devoured by guard dogs and climbed over a, a very spiky fence. It was quite difficult to get in. And then sort of walked into this extraordinary place. It is, a, it, when, when, when we're out of the virtual world, you must come and see us this. Because it's an amazing place. You walk, you walk sort of round a corner and suddenly there's this sort of mammoth hole in the ground. I mean, it's 20 acres of the, the base of the quarry. So it's big, surrounded by these cliffs, which are, you know, absolutely vertical cliffs. Um, and they're about 100, 120 feet high. So it's a very dramatic setting. 
And when I was looking for a site for our kitchen, I sort of had a, a, a criteria list, if you like, um, you know, how big it is and how much it costs and how close it is to a town and, you know, all the, the stuff you'd expect if you're looking for somewhere. But then my last... I didn't... It wasn't a very long list. It was only about six things on it. But my last one um, was, you know, was does it have some magic? Um, because we aim to be, you know, run our business differently probably to the way most people run their business and, and we're very proud to be different. And And I kind of... Our, our food should never be produced in a factory. Our, our food is always produced in a kitchen. And we're very proud of the food we produce. And so we wanted to build a building we are proud of in a location we are proud of and somewhere that just is, has something, has something that can't be replicated and is magical. And, and that's what we found. So I, when I walked in, I kind of, you know, thought, wow, this is magical. We're just going to have to do it here. This is it. Everyone else thought I was pretty mad. Um, but I think sometimes it's important to be on just the right side of madness. Just the right side. Just yeah. the right side of madness. Yeah. And obviously you can only ever say that with the benefit of hindsight. <laughs> to know that which side that we've been on. there for three years now. And I think, you know, and, and, you know, everyone is inspired when they walk in. And so I think, I think, you know, fortunately we got it right. We rolled the dice and, 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 you know, we rolled a six. You said prior to, to moving there that you feel like the, the Southwest, the West country has a degree of authenticity when it comes to producing food. Was that, do you feel that was a barrier in terms of being accepted by the, by the community? Did they, did they see it as, you know, here is a, a big food brand coming in rather than sort of the independence that you often get in the area? Well, I mean, no, not at all. And I mean, in fact, we're not a big food brand. I mean, you know, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're a small independent business. You know, we're not owned by some massive corporation. It's a family business. Um, we've grown a bit, but we're still in, in food industry terms. We're still very small. Um, and I think, you know, now I think people have been incredibly supportive and, and, you know, we've got a few, some local producers and lots of people have been to see us. Our door's always been open from, from day one. So we've had lots of visitors and people are struck by the, the beauty and magic of the place. But also when they walk around and see how we're making our food, it's like, wow, this is, this is real. This is proper. This is how food should be made. Um, not many people do make food like that, strangely. Have your chefs been influenced by the local Somerset food culture at all? I think definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, uh, one, of our, one of our chefs, uh, I mean, we've got lots, quite a lot of chefs, but one of our chefs lives in Bristol, which, I mean, okay, it's not Somerset, it's not too far away. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, no, I think, I think there's, a, there's a, yeah, of course they are, of course they are, because we're out exploring and looking and seeing stuff the whole time, so... So yeah, I think it's it's the values around food that that I think sort of are are, are you know are, are great for us to be connected to, and I believe we are connected reasonably well connected already. And I think we will over the years, you know, we're we're newbies. We've only been there for three years, 
Um, you know, as as we settle in, um, I think I think we'll, our tentacles will reach out further. And you're also connecting and supporting other local businesses as well. Um, I read around the partnership that you had with the Swan Hotel in, in Wells oh, yeah, around yeah, the yeah. Eat Out to Help Out. How did that come about? Um, well, I've stayed, you know, I've stayed in the Swan Hotels at Swan Hotel a few times because it's a rather magical place, it's seeped in history. Um, and beautifully located just opposite the cathedral. So when we've had some of our customers down to visit us, we quite often go stay in the Swan and have a wander around the cathedral prior to going and wandering around our, our kitchen. Um, and so I knew the Swan, and then, and then um, the lovely manager of the Swan um, dropped me an email, actually, and said, you know, we've been having a really tough time. Um, we've had to close the hotel for the first time in... 500 years or something extraordinary um, in, in lockdown and, and times are tough and, and we're doing this, we're going to try and do something around, you know, the eat out to help out and would you mind, get, you know, giving us some food or, and so we, and I know, delighted to help and so we gave, we, we donated quite a lot of food um, to the Swan and uh, which they then sold and then the sort of proceeds of what they sold um, went to um, a very um, brilliant and lovely charity which we support and also coincidentally the Swan Hotel supports called Heads Up in Wales. I don't know if you know Heads Up. No, I don't. Check it out. They're really good. Really good. It's a sort of mental health charity. Okay. Um, and they're, they're, they're doing good stuff and so we're proud to support them. So it was nice that it just coincidentally tied in with that. And there are other sort of local causes and, and charitable organisations that you also get involved with as well, aren't there? Part of my philosophy... Um, as a business, and, and particularly as we moved down into, into Dolcote, um, was we want our business to be absolutely rooted in its community. Um, and I'm really delighted, I mean, as I said, very early days, but I'm really delighted by how we're already, you know, even just three years in, we're quite connected um, with the local community. So yes, we do get involved in, in sort of, you know, the carnivals that happen in both Shepton and Wales, we get involved in the the big agricultural show that happens on the edge of Shepton, you know the one? We got involved in the Literature Festival in Wales, obviously been involved in the Food Festival since the moment we arrived, um, get involved in sponsoring local football clubs and teams and, you know, doing stuff for schools. And so, yeah, no, we're really, we're really, we really want to be involved. And so there are lots of causes that we, we, we get involved in and that's, and that's great. What's next for the kitchen? What do you have? planned well you know we're 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 sort of we're quite boring i mean in some ways no we're not boring but but um yeah we we make nice food and we just want to we i mean our our sort of ethos as a business is, is is whatever we do is is we want to just do it a little a little bit better sort of every day every week every month every year and if we, if, you know, if we go on making what we do a little bit better in, in everything we do, then, you know, one day, um, hopefully we'll, we'll be, we'll be a really, uh, uh, you know, we'll be a great business. I mean, I'm proud of where we've got to so far, but, you know, it, we're only 25 years in. Um, great businesses take a long time to form. Um, we've got a lot to do still. going to play the original Somerset Stories game, Excellent. which doesn't really, doesn't really have a name. The working title is Somerset Location or Victorian Novel Character. Okay. 
it's it doesn't roll off the tongue very well. You've got eight names that okay. I'm going to give you. Uh, you're not allowed to Google these. No, um, I'm not interested. You've of course, got, I got eight names. Cheat. Of course, I wouldn't cheat. <laughs> okay. Eight names, and you have to tell me whether you think they are a character from a Victorian novel or a place in Somerset. So the first one is Montague Tig. That's a place. It's not a place. <laughs> oh, isn't it? You no. See, okay, so are it, you going to tell me which novel? I will. I will tell you. It's, he's a character from uh, Martin Chuzzlewit by Charles Dickens. Okay. A minor character. A minor character. And I haven't, I haven't read... I haven't read that particular Dickens novel. So I'm now going to have to put that on my reading list. Yeah, one for the list. Yeah. Elworthy Barrows. Oh, gosh, this is going to be embarrassing because you're going to test my knowledge or, or lack of knowledge of Victorian novels. And I didn't think it was too bad. Um, and I don't... Oh, well, now I've, you've got me thinking. Elworthy Barrows. I'm actually going to say that's a place as well. That's correct. It is a place in Somerset. Yeah. Okay. Whereabouts is Elworthy Barrows? Oh, now you've got me. I think it is near the Quantocks. Okay, okay. So that, yeah, quite a long way away. Yeah, so far from your, your side of, uh, of, of the, the county. But that's, you've got that one right. Okay. Lady Wake. Actually, I'm not sure how to pronounce this one, but I think it's Lady Wake. I, again, you say, I, 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 I would... Hmm. Is, is this a double bluff or <laughs> no I don't, I'm going to say I'm going to say place correct Lady Wake is the name of a street in I believe Western Supermare okay I think Herrick now Herrick is a character that's correct and I think, I'm where? trying to think where Herrick's from could it be Bleak House uh, no, it is a Robert Louis Stevenson novel oh, okay. called Ebb Tide. Okay. But there you go. So you're, on, you're, doing, you're doing well now. Three, three out of the last three. Number five is Chelston Heath. I am going place again. That is correct. It is in Somerset. Okay. So after, after your, your start, you're doing, doing so well, but now you're, you're doing, picking up some momentum. Marty South. I kind of feel I'm going to say character, and I'm, but I can't. I don't recognise the character, but I am going to say character. You're right to say character. Marty South is a character from Thomas Hardy's The Woodlanders. Oh, and I do love The Woodlanders. It's a lovely book, but I haven't read that for many a moon, and I'd forgotten Marty South. But anyway, maybe not. Maybe sublim subliminally I'd remembered him. Yeah, well, it's got you that extra point. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Penultimate one is Caster Woodseaves. Caster Woodseaves. I think we'll go place. Caster Woodseaves is a character from a little-known novel called Precious Bane by Mary Webb. Okay, well... So I, I really had to kind of dig into yeah, no, that's minor tough. characters in that's very tough. obscure novels. That's obscure. Uh, yeah. You haven't yeah. made it easy. <laughs> well, you're doing, you're doing well despite that. Yeah. Um, so last one is Lopen. If it's a character, it's got to be quite obscure. Lopen, Lopen, Lopen. What could it be? I mean, hmm. It's a sort of character that could appear somewhere as a minor character in a Hardy novel. But we've had, you've given me Hardy already. I'm going to go character. It's a place, oh. unfortunately. But you did get five. I got five out of eight. Five out of eight, which okay. I think is, is not bad. 
and that is a good benchmark to set because you are our first yeah. player. It's of quite that game. hard. It's quite you've got some, you know. Because you I know I mean what I picked up Lewis is you weren't going to put in any easy characters, were you? Well you know, yeah, I'm not gonna it's not gonna be David Copperfield. <laughs> <laughs> um but that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Before we go, is there any Obviously, you've got a very comprehensive website uh, where people can see what you're doing uh, as an organisation. Where else can, can people find out more about you and the work that you're up to? I think, I don't know, I think our website, I mean, our website should have lots of stuff on there. I, I'm just, just trying to think if there's any interesting, I mean, obviously, they need to listen to this podcast. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think you know. Our, our, there's some stuff about. There should be some. There should be some some nice stuff on our website that tells you a bit more about us. And and actually, you know, one of the things I want to do with our website is get a, a, a bit more depth to it because we mm-hmm. do lots of good stuff beyond food, which we we forget to talk about a lot. So we're, we're yeah. having a bit of a push on that at the moment. And then next year, all things uh, being being better hopefully uh, you'll be out and about at various food festivals in the area i would imagine um well particularly we'll be championing um the wells food festival because it's a brilliant brilliant festival um and we're very excited to be you know be going to be the kind of main sponsor of that festival for the for the next few years um so yeah but 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 i will be out and about elsewhere as well at places like the lovely Froome independent and all those lovely places there are masses of great stuff that happens in, in somerset and even beyond somerset's boundaries brilliant well we will hope to uh bump into you there brilliant charlie thank you so much for your time um you've been a wonderful guest very nice to talk to you Thank you for listening to this episode of Somerset Stories. You can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Instagram at Somerset Stories or email hello at somersetstories.com. See you next time.